Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Wild Ones podcast. This is a show where we chat about bike stuff. So this week, I'm actually joined by pro mechanic Nick and producer Emily. So Nick, how's a uh, happy new year? How, happy new year. How was your new year? I spent it at your house. So You did? That's true. pretty good, actually. A lot of cheese, a lot of wine. A lot of Nicolas Cage movies. For no reason whatsoever, we watched three Nicolas Cage films back to back. Yes, and then Cool Runnings to kind of... But we didn't actually finish it because we, we got too tired and yeah. went to bed at 11.30. We'll leave that for next New Year's Eve. <laughs> so Nick, did you see GCN has been getting a bit of flack? Yeah, I did. They posted a video called, Why Does a Road Bike Cost As Much As A Motorbike? They looked at the reasons the bike industry gives for push bikes costing thousands of pounds. Their arguments included that motorbikes have less R&D, although this was disputed by viewers. They also said that there is an inflated cost of having to stock lots of different components and sizes, and they argued that the profit margins on bikes are 40% versus motorbikes at around 10% because bike shops have to do more, like build up the bikes. Uh, I don't completely agree with that. Um, Yes, if you do a custom build, it takes a lot more time and effort, and there's a lot more involved, but... Generally speaking, if we talk as a cycling industry, your bike comes boxed, you take it out, it gets set up, and then you need a safety check. So you need somebody who knows how to do it, but it's not more work than a motorbike um, or a car even. Um, Also dispute the whole R&D thing because motorbikes have a lot of R&D. They do have a bit more trickle down, so which is an issue now, but it was an issue back in the day. So GCN definitely wasn't solely defending the price of bikes. They did acknowledge that prices are crazy right now, but it seems like trying to justify costs at all annoyed a lot of their viewers. One of the most liked comments said, GCN, don't try to help the bike industry in justifying their high costs. Consumers are being ripped off and anyone with critical thinking skills can see this. Another said, the main reason for £15,000 bikes is to make £5,000 bikes look reasonable. And a third said, lots of people don't understand that things don't sell for what they cost to make. Things sell for what people are prepared to pay for them. So 
Is the criticism of their video fair? Yes. Uh, I do think, in general, it's overpriced. Uh, I, I still believe there are bikes that should cost £20,000, but that's the same as where there's cars that should cost, well, cost £4 million. Um, if there are people who can afford it once, but in general, an average, the average on a bell curve, bikes in the middle for, for 50% of all of them should be more reasonable, um, should be more durable. Uh, my main concern, I think, why I think this is happening is uh, disc brakes. The industry after COVID switched a lot more heavy towards disc brakes and it's a newer technology in the road bike market. I'm not talking mountain bikes, but it's been going for years and it just means there's not been a lot of trickle down where with rim brakes, group sets, if you took a eight speed or nine speed group set, that technology has been trickling down for 20 years. That's just not happened yet. So eventually it will get cheaper, but... Well, but, yeah. but disc brakes is not expensive technology. It's not disc brakes, but it's... The, like the way what, the... Why are we getting 12 speed and 13 speed group sets? We don't need them. They're spending millions and millions of pounds on R&D on group set technology that is just not needed. I agree with what you say to some extent, but then disagree in terms of 12 speed, 13 speed. There's no problem with it. R&D shouldn't stop and new things, trying new things shouldn't stop happening. The problem is that with these new 12 speed group sets, they're generally wireless. They're generally disc brake, meaning they don't, haven't had a chance to trickle down because there's no 8-speed or 9-speed or 10-speed group sets that are really wireless, electronic, and disc brake. So at the moment, it's just massively inflated it, and the manufacturers have stopped producing the older stuff. So since COVID, you're struggling to find rim brake components for bikes. You can't just get what you want. And because of this, it's not trickling down. So it's not just, I mean, they should still make all the other stuff as well. I don't understand why 12, why they keep trying to add more gears on a rear cassette. It, it just seems pointless to me. And it's, it's additional cost for just no reason. It feels like they are engineering products so that they can sell new stuff. And I think that is what a lot of people are upset That's, about. Yes. Uh, well, that, that's true. They, they are making stuff to just justify charging more money. And, that, and more do out. not get me started on aero yeah. because the amount of money that is spent on aero and the development of aero, which then increases the cost of bikes because of all the, the R&D that's put into it, that, you know, Francis and I posted a video the other day where we literally went to Silverstone Aero Tunnel and compared Scott's Addict RC versus Scott's equivalent level foil bike everything else identical on it. And the difference between them was like a couple of watts. But I, I've, been say, I've been saying this for, for years now that aero, I, I get the argument's always going to be an aero bike can be faster. Yes, but the gains are so small for the average person. We need to forget about what world tour riders are doing because none of us are world tour riders. So R&D needs to be spent a little bit more as well to the, for the average person. Stop doing what's working well for Tour de France only and start thinking of what's going to work for average people. Like what's the work out what 95% of the cycling community needs and spend a bit more on that, make the bikes more comfortable. Um, your bike will go faster by being more comfortable way more than it will be by being aero when you are not an elite level athlete. In their video, they talk about the profit margin on the bike industry being around 40% and on motorbikes being about 10%. Do you think, is that appropriate? You, you work no, in the bike uh, industry? I, I don't know of a single bike brand that's 40% margin. Uh, we just don't get it um, as a shop. So I don't know where they work that margin from. Um, yes, the cycling industry will have a bigger margin, but then is that a gross from a manufacturer side? 
I think the biggest thing would be gross profit versus net profit because I think they make the bikes for incredibly cheap. Um, so there could be massive profit margins, but then they spend a lot of money on advertising and marketing. And I don't think that's a good thing necessarily. Obviously, I understand it's to get ahead and sell more of your bikes, but customers need to know for some of these big brands like Specialized, Trek, um, all of them, they are paying a lot of that money they're paying for that bike is going towards the marketing. It, it, yeah, it does seem the marketing budgets in cycling is, is like disproportionate to the size of the industry. Yeah. Like how much does it cost to sponsor a pro team for a bike brand? Millions and millions. Two million, five million, ten million, depending on what it is. And yes, they might sell bikes off the back of it, but that is a hell of a lot of money just, just from an off, just yeah. from that perspective. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of mark a hell of a lot of marketing costs which goes into the bike industry i'm sure there is in motorbikes as well but you know if you're if you're into bike motorbikes you're into motorbikes i've wanted a motorbike my entire life i haven't ended up getting one if i did do my license because there's barriers to getting into it the first thing i would do is go and buy harley davidson iron 883 and as, as harley people hate it but it is a beautiful bike and that, that's what i would do i'll just go and buy it done People will say motorbike industry also spends a lot of money on marketing, but they do it through racing. But the difference they do, I think, to cycling industry is that, let's use Ineos as an example. Ineos has a team um, and they'll have sponsors and Pinarello will pay Ineos to ride their bikes and give them bikes, which is how they pay the marketing. Where in a superbike team, the superbike company, somebody like Honda, will actually own most of the team. They will get sponsors paying them to be in there. So there's R&D, there's a lot of, money goes into it but it's yeah i think the viewers on their video on gcn's video is right it is it is overly inflated at the moment um you can't justify the prices uh, you can justify on a custom hand-built something like a sturdy or a bike where somebody's made a craftsman like a artisan has designed a bike and made it for you but in the average bikes the bikes that everybody's buying the the mainstream brands uh, where they are charging that amount of money on a bike is just silly. You get companies like Time where they are manufacturing frame sets that takes them 44 hours to make a single frame set. And a lot of work goes into that frame set retails for £3,200 where the rest of the industry standardized bikes made by, there'll be a handful of factories in China making all the big brands bikes. And then they charge £5,500 for that frame set. And you think, how, how is that justified? 44 hours for three and a half thousand pounds seems like a very healthy hourly rate. Well, it's not, obviously that wouldn't be the final, th you could, the, 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 the contrast would be, I reckon some of the frame sets that are made by other external factories, there's been rumors going around where some of the big brands where the frame sets retail for five and a half thousand pounds only cost about $400 is what they're paying the factory to make the bike. Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of those kind of rumors. So it's, it's, it's a bit of, it's marketing. Marketing is a problem. I don't know the answer to this, but I would assume that the actual raw cost of manufacturing a motorbike and a motorbike engine and all of the metal associated to it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and bearings that are suitable for those speeds, blah, 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 blah. The actual cost of manufacturing that bike to be significantly higher than the actual cost to manufacture a bicycle. Yes. And I think that is one of the things that people have issues with. I can buy a £15,000 motorbike. Well, I can actually buy a much cheaper motorbike. That, For example, that Harley-Davidson I want, last time I looked, which was a number of years ago, you could buy it brand new for, I think, about seven and a half, eight grand. And that is like the coolest bike in the world, in my opinion. Um, 
Whereas the actual manufacturing cost of that bike was probably a couple of grand, realistically. The only to play devil's advocate over here is that bike would have been technology that's probably about 20 or 30 years old. So yeah, but been using fine. it over trickle down. That's what I mean. The trickle down does come down. Where I've, I've got bicycles that have technology that's 20 or 30 years old and they're fantastic. They are Harley Davidsons that cost probably about 40,000 pounds. You mean a high end motorbike now you are looking closer to 40,000 than you are to the 10, 50. Yeah. That's if you want yeah. the Gucci handbag. But we're talking about Gucci bikes as well. Yeah. Uh, I, but I, I still honestly believe that now a good, decent, good quality bike that will last in the Northeast of England where the weather is terrible, you're going to have to spend about two and a half thousand pounds. And that is outrageous. That should be much closer to a thousand pounds or less. The problem is ultimately that there needs to be more choices in affordable, reliable bikes, isn't it? It's not necessarily, you'll look at any industry and you will get stuff that's at the high end, the mid to high end, that's capitalism. But almost, I think it almost doesn't matter what GCN was saying in this video and how balanced they were trying to be. The general mood of people seems so angry at the cost of stuff. Mm. And it's because there are so many options at the higher price point and the lower end. And that's what's getting marketed. That's what we're seeing on teams. It's what we're seeing on websites. That's the, the thing that you need to get in inverted commas. But the emphasis on affordable, reliable bikes just seems to have left the room, left the chat, doesn't uh, exist. A brother steel frame set, which is a more affordable frame set, retails for £999 for their nicest one they do. Um, I'm pretty sure the manufacturing cost of that frame set is exactly the same as what it costs to get a high-end carbon frame set from the, they'll be buying them in from the far east as well uh but they spend considerably less money in marketing so it's the same cost but the one frame retails for a thousand one retails five and a half and that's where it becomes ridiculous mm. it feels like the industry is ready for a reset and i think it is about to happen what do you think is going to happen next in terms of pricing in the industry it's difficult to predict um a lot of shops a lot of online retailers uh, and big names are going under at the moment. And because of that, there's a lot of stuff being sold really cheap. But the big manufacturers aren't stopping their development. So they'll be producing new stuff. So there'll be a trickle down. But if yeah. ultimately, one of the commenters said, if people aren't paying, then prices will come down. Yeah. It's whether, you know, if if there's lots of sales on, if the secondhand market gets really good, then brands will find that they're not selling what they need to sell. And I think prices will come down. The price are already massively coming. Uh, Shimano 105, the new group says last year sold for 1780 and now all of a sudden you can probably pick it up for 1200 quid. Um, it, it'll all just come down again. Um, it's going to have to, the, the big reset is going to happen. I think we're going to see more non cycling specific brands that have big pots of money that are going to start entering the space, especially because wiggles come down. So Decathlon's an easy example of it. Um, they're lunging massively into the cycling space and I think they're going to make a huge dent in it. And from what I've seen thus far, I'm really happy with it. Uh, the other thing I reckon we're probably going to see is I think we're going to see more finance. The the classic, um, and it's popping up everywhere now, the classic car finance model. You get a bike on a three-year agreement, you pay 200 quid a month, and then after three years, you give it back to them and you get the next one. You never actually own the bike. They then sell it on. I reckon we'll probably see more of those see, kind of things. I really hope that doesn't happen. I think you're right, but I hope it doesn't because it's just wasteful. Just start making bikes last longer again. 
I mean, it's a whole thing of, they made stuff in the 50s and the 60s that lasts for ages and ages and ages, and now all of a sudden everything dies really quickly. And it's not because they're making, it's, they're using cheaper materials to make stuff. It's material science, make it out of better steel, out of better materials, stuff that's going to last longer, more sustainable. Um, carbon fiber was quite a bit of an issue. Aluminium wasn't great either. Go back to steel. Stop buying fast tires, buy more durable ones. Which ones that last longer? Yeah, they'll still be fast. They last longer. It's not uh, that that fast and slow thing is such a small <laughs> margin that the average person will never realize. Um, comfortable, get more comfortable. But it's yeah, just make things last longer, more durable. Before we move on, we also want to briefly acknowledge a tragic event that hit the world of cycling this week: the death of cyclist Melissa Dennis. Melissa was a retired Olympic track cyclist who won gold in the women's team pursuit in the 2015 UCI World Champs, among other achievements. She died at the weekend, and her husband, world time trial champion Rohan Dennis, has reportedly been charged with her death. It's reported that Melissa was hit by the pickup truck he was driving near their home in Adelaide, Australia, and later died from her injuries. Rohan was reportedly arrested and charged with causing death by dangerous driving and driving without due care and endangering life. He was bailed to appear in court in March. There's lots of speculation about the details of the case, but at this point we think it's important to acknowledge Melissa and share our condolences with her family. Melissa was described in tributes by friends as a beautiful soul and inspiring athlete. Now in other news, new stats show two bike jackings a day take place in London on average. Muggers reportedly have shopping lists of popular bike brands with high resale values, including Brompton folding bikes. They're also apparently targeting premium road bikes and e-bikes. Many use mopeds and threaten victims with knives. The Met Police says that they're doing all that we can to prevent robberies and thefts targeted at cyclists, but many think that they're not doing enough. These latest stats focus on London, but similar patterns of crime are happening in other parts of the country too. I know if Francis was here he would talk about the incident, which he likes bringing up as much as possible from when him and I were making a video on gravel bikes and a couple of kids on mopeds were riding up the, the gravel paths and waiting for us. We did, being ex-Londoners looked like the typical thing that, that was people trying to steal bikes. So we turned around and went a different way and then they came back down around looking dodgy at us another time. I know he would want to talk about that story, I still think it's speculation and I think they were just hiding somewhere to have a cheeky spliff away from the police and then we're just going about their business. Uh, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe maybe there is this type of crime happening in Newcastle. I'm sure there is as well. I, I had a look online and there were there were a few reports of bike muggings in it was basically all cities. If you do a Google, you can find a couple. It's hard to I don't know whether this is something that extends outside the UK, but usually you have yeah. you find when there are patterns of crime emerge, it I, usually spreads. I think this is obviously it's newer and a problem in the UK, but the rest of the world, this is a massive problem for years and years. I remember as a kid, uh, one of my friends, Jason, was riding near my mom's house, and he got in South Africa, in South Africa, yeah. and he got held up at knife, knife point, and he had a Colnago C60, I think it was at the time, really big one, 64 centimeter frame set. They stole all his clothes, his helmet, his telephone, his shoes, his socks. He was butt naked. They took the front wheel of his bike, flung it down the hill and left his bike. They didn't take his bike. What? So he, he, obviously after they left, got his wheel back on, rode his bike naked to the police station. Um, yeah. Wait, what crazy. were they after then? His clothes? His clothes. Yeah, and his shoes. The bike Wait, was cy- monstrously big. Cycling clothes or normal clothes? Cycling clothes, yeah. Why would they? That's I have no so idea. Weird. But uh, my mom's been shot at on a bike. 
Um, loads of people that I know have been held up at gunpoint, knife points over there. Uh, it's crimes an age old problem. I, I don't know what the solution is. It's hard, isn't it? Because, yeah. like, for example, I'm quite a country bumpkin. And when I first met you, Jimmy, in London, you being the, the hardened Cardiff boy that you were, <laughs> I was walking around the streets with my phone in one hand and my purse in another because I don't like to carry a bag. Um, and you thought it was ridiculous. I was such an easy target and I didn't really appreciate that. But the thing is, you know, an, a, a phone costs can be upwards of a grand now. They're very easy to take valuables and you're encouraged to hide them from view, but you can't do that with a bike, can you? Mm. As we've just talked about, bikes cost a fortune. A lot of the bike crime outside of London that I've been seeing online is e-bikes and there must be an easy sellable market for them. But how do you protect yourself against, other than just not riding your bike or carrying a weapon, which you'd obviously never encourage? How do, You can't really... I, I guess one of the issues with bicycles is they're uh, they're not really traceable. They, you know, technically they have serial numbers and things like that, but it's you know most people aren't going to register a serial number or even know what their serial number is. I've got a couple of custom bikes that don't even have a serial number, so there isn't even an identifying feature on them. So if someone steals a bike, they can often, you know, dispose of it via whatever means possible, and there's no direct link back to that person. There are things like the National Bike Register where you can register your serial number with the police and what bike it is so that if they, if one gets handed in, they'll check the serial number to see if they've got a record of who owns it. Uh, but it's, it's just ultimately not enough. The other thing we were talking about this earlier, Nick mentioned, which is a really good point and I think happens a lot. And you know, even with cars, it does happen, to be fair. You steal a bike, you strip it. So even the components on a lot of these bikes are worth thousands of pounds, which have even less identifying features than the frame itself with a serial number. So there's just not, there's not, there's, there's not really an easy way of linking it back to a person once it's stolen. In an ideal world, and I know there'll be things people will find loopholes and things is as technology improves, bikes are becoming more and more electronic. So they probably can already do it with e-bikes. But now with your group sets being electronic and things like that, down the line, all they're going to have to do is it has to be like activated towards your phone or your iWatch or some, Apple Watch or something like that, where if your phone's not there, your bike just doesn't work. You know I mean, like keyless entry on cars. So it's linked to that and doesn't work. The other one would be with the bike register. shouldn't be with the police. It should be with bike shops, meaning a bike goes in for servicing. And I understand there's going to be issues with this, but bike comes in for servicing, gets booked in, and every bike shop should just be required to kind of a cursory check of the frame number and maybe the wheels. It should like still that. be the police and as well. It's, no, but you can still be police, but bike shops should have it as well. It should be like a, a national database that everybody's got. So when a bike comes to service, you can instantly check, yeah, the guy who's dropped it off's name or the girl who's dropped off's name corresponds to the bikes that's been dropped off. So it's there. So you can instantly see. If so. Yes, I get the moped crimes to be different because they'll be stealing these bikes right until it needs a service, burn it in the Thames and then buy, an, or not buy, sorry, steal another one. So that's going to be an issue as well. But every little bit helps. My biggest issue with bikes at the moment is that it should become more commonplace to be allowed to take your bikes into shops. So if you go to a supermarket, I, I want to go for Greg's for lunch, but I'm not riding my bike there because I have to leave it outside mm -hmm. to go inside to get my sandwich. And I, I know and that's that's a proper first world problem, but... But I, th I think the bit that people are missing is I think people will assume 
or businesses will often go like, oh, but there's not enough space for bike storage. I don't want bike storage. I want to be able to walk around yes, yeah. with my bike. I want to be able to just keep it with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not, not, yeah. not lock it indoors. Yes. I want to be able to walk around the shop with it. And, yeah. you know, I live with a bike all the time. I'm not going to be bumping into things because I carry it through a house and I don't bump it into things. So like, these, that isn't an issue. These massively inflated bike prices, I mean, I don't want my massively inflated bike to be. I guess the thing is bike crime and bike theft has always existed. And the worrying thing about this is that it's it's not theft, it's robbery. So it's, it's theft with assault. Yeah. You're taking something directly off a person rather than you just coming back to a bike lock and it's not there anymore. And I guess that's the worry for people, isn't it? There needs to be more, I mean, police presence, which is never going to be. There needs to be harsher penalties, I guess. So apparently, and this is from back in the London days when this sort of crime started popping up more and more and more, apparently there was a uh, Met Police, so the, the London Police Force, the Metropol Metropolitan Police, they had a rule that if someone was getting away on a motor on a moped or a motorbike they would let them go because there was an inherent risk to people the public that that motor cyclist might crash into people kill people mm. ride on the pavement go down roads they shouldn't be going down and it was dangerous so there was definitely a point in time where these people realized that they could effectively steal whatever they want and the police wouldn't chase them I would imagine that has been lots of changes to this um, because otherwise it would just keep going up and up and up. There was like this little loophole, which basically yes. meant they weren't you allowed could to chase steal them in cars. Yeah. But I've been watching police interceptors where they're running them down with their cars still. So yeah, I <laughs> think that rule's been, well, I don't know, it might've been abolished and then brought back. I'm not sure, but uh, it's just, it's, it's an absolute minefield because you can then say harsher, harsher punishments, but then, how do they do that? How do they implement it? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm really interested to know if other countries have this type of crime, especially the moped style, because that feels unbelievably British, doesn't it? Um, so if if you what if if you have any of these kind of issues, comment in the video below or ping us an email at wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk because uh, I would love to know if this is a UK issue or if it is happening in other places. And if it is, what if anything's being done? To tackle it. I used to live with a Russian we, when we were racing back in the day. He used to be adamant that if he starts, if we start training at four in the morning, none of, as he called them, the wrong ones, uh, would be awake. That's prime theft time. Uh, he, he was convinced they don't, they don't do it at that time of the night. So he only used to ride his bike. Every, he used to wake me up at half past three to go training at four o'clock. <laughs> uh, we never got mugged. So. so next, what is going on at Sports Direct? The British retailer with a reputation for cheap deals and dubious employment practices looked to be moving into the premium road cycling space earlier this week. We noticed that they were selling high-end specialised Trek and Cannondale bikes. We found a seven grand Trek Madone, a Cannondale System 6 discounted to £7,600 and an eight grand Tarmac on the Sports Direct website. But when we had a look again this morning, they were all gone. So what's going on at Sports Direct? I reckon, obviously, this is pure uh, speculation. I reckon they're buying Wiggle. There's definitely, because the list, when we had a look at it, was it like two days ago? It might have even been yesterday. They had basically every single specialized bike available apart from the S-Works models. So it was like, it was very premium bikes and a lot of them. And now if you search specialized in their search function on the website, there is zero specialized bikes so there's definitely definitely something going on 
I know they're doing lots of weird stuff with um, Evans. Um, so Sports Direct itself is part of the Fraser Group, which owns a load of high street brands, Evans, House of Fraser Game. Um, they are renowned for buying struggling brands for sometimes nothing or a pound, a, a nominal figure. Um, they began making moves into the cycling industry in 2017 when they bought Tri UK and then Evans a year later. Fraser Group is said to be one of the biggest businesses that is considering buying Wiggle. So it's interesting that you say that you think that they have bought Wiggle. So Sports Direct brand doesn't have the best reputation. It's been criticized in the past for business practices such as zero hours contracts, poor working conditions and pay. Have they bought Wiggle? Are they restructuring? It seems very odd that there would be that amount of range available yesterday and zero of it today. Yes, obviously we saw this on the weekend. Um, I feel that if those brands go into Sports Direct, which is generally a sporting shop, you go to buy cheaper stuff, you buy cheap football jerseys. It's like cheap and basic, it's isn't cheap it? And That's basic, which brand. is fine. I mean, it's definitely needed, but I just feel that all the millions we just talked about earlier that these brands are spending on their marketing will just be completely... But are they all uh, sold in Evans? Could it could it be as simple as like a website error if like Evans is merging with Sports Direct and their teams yeah, are merging? I, I'm going to assume they still have different teams running yeah. the different things. They've not actually merged well, the companies. It, it might be that, that they're just bringing those closer together. Because there was definitely... Um, and th They added an Evans bike shop inside the flagship sports direct store in Birmingham. So they, they're definitely trying to merge the two together, which makes sense. You know, sports are sports. Hello, this is Emily from the future here. Just to let you know, we did reach out to Sports Direct to try and find out what was going on. But by the time the podcast was published, we still hadn't received a response from them. Something that could happen, obviously, I'm just pure speculation again, is that they could run everything from a central, essential stock feed warehouse and somebody just accidentally clicked onto the Sports Direct website, those brands, and it's just populated over from Evans. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's one for us to keep an eye on to see what happens because there's something going on, and especially with Wickle, Wickle? Wiggle having, uh, being in administration, there's going to be a lot of big money people which are thinking, well, how do we capitalize on this? I guess regardless of whether they actually buy them out or not, there is going to be, there is a space for like, the cheap deals, Wiggles thing. The which, new Wiggle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, Wiggle, the brand is probably not going to go. It'll be taken over. But if there's a little bit of devaluation or de-strengthening in that brand, then someone like Sports Direct is probably in prime position to swoop up and take well, that market. I, I actually think we might see Wiggle disappear because, or at least drop in value significantly over the next few years. Because they were so dominant, they ultimately... There isn't the brand isn't as valuable as you'd probably think because there isn't there's ultimately no competition. So you yeah. could just go, well, if Wiggle are no longer there, I can just do my own thing now and go, right, well, I can just spend loads of but rather than spend a hundred million on buying Wiggle, I can spend ten million on advertising that this is the new Wiggle. Perhaps. But as venture capsule firms coming into the space and I just feel that they're ruining cycling. Uh, I know it's a really harsh thing to say, but Cycling industry does not work like any other industry. The retail of cycling goods is just different. Um, and it's just 
they are again and again and again coming into the cycling industry and failing. They're buying distributors, they're buying brands, they're buying clothing brands, quite a few of them out there, and spending all this money thinking that and running at a loss every single year. Their basic function, I would assume, is to pop up the balance sheet so they can sell it on for more money, not thinking of what they're leaving behind, how they are inflating prices, how they are ruining small brands, how they... I know some, you guys will probably know better, but clothing factories where VC Capital bought the factories and then essentially just a few years later when it's not worked out and they just closed it down. A family business that's been running for 20, 30 years, gone. Uh, just so that people can get their money high up somewhere. Look uh, uh, <coughs> <Nicole. coughs> Yeah. <laughs> I just wish that at some point they realized they're not making a success out of it and they just stop interfering and let the brands carry on how they used to do. I think um, you're right. I think probably ever since 2012, there's been a cycling boom, especially in this country, yeah. definitely. And it's all like the rise of Rafa and all of that kind of thing. And you're right, VC money has come in to brands based on that. And it means that you have to hit sales targets. You have to do stuff. And, and if grow, you're not, grow, 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 grow. The, the, the departments grow, the jobs grow, and therefore the... But the and the then they, they, they have their product, I'll use Ruff as an example, and they sell it at a massive discount all the time. And it just means that people like Atticus back in the day would have clothing. And it's, how do you compete? Because somebody's just going to buy it. And they don't care that they, they're selling it at a loss. I mean, your thing last week about Canyon, their sales are up, but they're making a loss. Meaning, well, if you would start making bib shorts and sell them at five quid a pair, you'll be the biggest cycling company in the world. <laughs> on sales. <laughs> on sales. Yeah. But you're not making any money. You're just losing. And you're also making sure that nobody else is selling stuff. And yeah. it just becomes a... Has the wiggle stuff had an effect on indie retailers? Yes. Yeah, because uh, it's it's complex. It works, but I mean, our shop works a bit differently to your traditional shop. But yeah, loads of people have had quotes for things like, oh, well, I can get it for wiggle for less than what it costs us to buy it in excluding VAT. Uh, we've also had a few guys, well, a few, we had a guy before Christmas, bought two bikes of Wiggle, um, came in e-bikes. In administration, they, when they were in administration? Yes, administ yeah. bought it for Christmas, yeah. Right. Um, it's arrived, but they both have warranty problems. He's too scared to send them back. So he said he'd rather bring it to a bike shop to get it fixed there. But, but that's the risk with buying from a business yeah. that's in administration. Um, we've definitely talked about that previously, that yes, there are going to be some bargains, but that comes with certain caveats and risks and concerns. And that, well, that's a prime example of it. If you do have a one warranty issue, you, you're not, well, but the, 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 you probably can yeah. still go back to Wiggle, but who knows what will happen. The, the problem for me with it is, from personal point, is that you as a consumer buy the product from Wiggle going into administration, then you have a warranty issue of a problem and then a bike shop is required to look after you afterwards. But we're having to look after, and I understand the consumer doesn't want to be left behind, but we have to look after something where these VC companies have sold everything at a loss, they've run everything. Their sole priority was to kill the small bike shop and then we have to kind of help them out afterwards. It's just a bit of, not fair. Playing devil's advocate, devil's advocate, though, does that not mean that the money is to be made in the servicing and the aftercare rather than in the sales? Why, why compete in the sales if actually there's a there's a hole for the aftermarket stuff? Is it because it doesn't pay as well? Uh, no, servicing obviously it's it's better, but it's brands rely on bike shops to speak to consumers and somebody to speak to and ask questions and all these things. A relationship afterwards, and it's. But all the small shops are, I mean, th there's loads of instances where I saw on the internet pro bike kits when they closed down, 
Um, I think they were people, also bought people by People saying sportsman. horrible stuff about saying they're happy that it's gone. And then people defending and saying, oh, there's people losing their jobs. But then you can flip it with Wiggle and then say, but the amount of people in bike shops that have lost their jobs yeah. because of Wiggle, it's... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah. On to our big question. What cycling trends do we hope to see in 2024? Go, you first. Uh, I want cycling industry to move more towards the average person and away from the pros. Oh, I wish. Because there's how many pros do we have and how many average people do we have? You mean this is a really skewed statistic. Francis and I uh, talk about this a lot. It's something that Emily and myself have been very passionate about since even like prior to starting Atticus. And it's actually... Just thinking about, so, so we used to do, always do it with, with designing Attica stuff, was normal people are going to be wearing this kit, not professional cyclists or like super skinny, uber lean, hardcore, whatever you want to call them. So make it appropriate for that, you know? And that, that was what we always focused on. And, I, and it's, it's little things for me like bike geometry, so much bike geometry is made for trickle down from pro cycling geometry and that isn't how normal people should be riding bikes i get what you're saying but at the same time no i think too much emphasis has been put on that um if as long as the bike fits it fits it's more of a yeah but a lot of them don't fit but people are forcing them to fit yeah but that's not that they're forced they're trying to get the look well, exactly, yeah. So they're, they're trying that's to the look point. like the pros on the bike and it's like, that, that, that's where the problem we comes. Go, we go in quite hard, or we definitely did at the beginning of this uh, series of podcasts about how, you know, bike weight doesn't matter and racing isn't that important, blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it's not trying to diminish the fact that some people like to go fast and some people like to race. It's just an acknowledgement that the whole industry seems really geared towards the yes. the racing the fast the pros more than anything else isn't it it just seems so skewed in some ways one of the comments on our most recent video which is the climbing versus aero bike uh was referring to the difference in wattage between the two bikes which was something like two or three watts it was a really small amount um and someone commented that's the difference between first and second place and my absolute first thought on that was how many people are caring about first and second place. They might think that it's something that's important, but 99.99% of cyclists are not I mean, it's racing. fine if you care. If you care about that, then you care. No, fine. no, but it, it's not but about care, but it, it, the problem is that it starts giving people unrealistic 
expectation. Uh, no expectation for what they're buying, and then they buy the wrong bikes because of it. We, we did a test a while back, about four years ago now. I had a Look Seven Nine Five, a Super Record, and bore a sixty mil wheels on it. I commuted in every single day for two weeks on it, and then I rode my Kinesis alloy gravel bike with thirty eight mil tires on every day of the same route. And over the four weeks test, um, the Kinesis was only three minutes slower. It was way more comfortable and enjoyable. It's mm-hmm. like trying to explain to people that it's three minutes that you are buying a 10,000 pound bike versus a one and a half thousand pound bike. Yeah. Um, Most people who cycle bikes are not racing and even fewer proportion of those are coming first. Gra- gravel is a very good example of this because bizarrely, I might be wrong, but I just feel that the gravel industry is not being made uh, a developed catering for the pro. They did it at the beginning and then they realized quickly, oh, we need much bigger tire clearance because originally Ridley and a few guys came out with 40 mil max tire clearance and things like that. Now all of a sudden, just make it for everybody else. Still obviously cater to the people racing, but it's just look after the rest of the people a little bit more. Make it more balanced. So something I hope to see is... Uh, I would love to see better road user education and better infrastructure. That isn't, when I say infrastructure, I'm not just talking about better cycle lanes. Uh, I do believe that cyclists should be able to integrate or use roads as well as pedestrians, as well as runners, as well as horse riders, whoever. I think roads need to be adjusted in how people think of them. Currently, it's a road is for a car. Whereas that isn't the case, especially where Emily and myself now live. We live in the lanes and there aren't, uh, there aren't, uh, what are they called? Pavements, sidewalks, whatever you want to call them. Um, there is literally a road with a hedge next to it. And I run on them. I walk on them. I cycle on them. I drive a car on them. And when I run on them, I get nervous because I have to jump off of the road every now and again. When I cycle on them, nearly always, it's very pleasant but you always just have a moment where it's like, I wish that car had just slowed down a bit. You didn't need to go past me at 60 miles an hour. It's a lack of understanding. That's where you say education is important. I, I feel cycle lanes are great, but they spend millions on making some of these cycle lanes. And you think if you took one cycle lanes, millions of pounds, didn't spend it on that, and you did a, interna- sorry, a national this is more for the UK, but a national advertising campaign explaining just basic facts to people. Firstly, nobody pays road tax. It's a vehicle excise duty. So it's not a thing of taxing a bike or a car is different. Second thing is cyclists are allowed to ride to a race. It's encouraged in the highway code. Educate people of this so that the fight, because it's road rage becomes an issue because people see two cyclists riding next to each other and then they get all upset about it and then do stupid things. Um, And then lastly... Uh, the minimum passing distance of a meter and a half. And just explain to people a bit, like give examples where if you're behind a tractor or a horse, you're just going to wait as a car. It's the same with the bike. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, the fact that a vehicle is a weapon. It's a dangerous thing. If you hit somebody with a car, I mean, it's, it's, you wouldn't hit somebody with a baseball bat. Why would you hit them with a car? So <laughs> do spend the money on an advertising campaign. Do it for a year and see how that That sounds like things. the old, do you remember the old piracy is a crime thing that would yeah. come up at the beginning of yes. videos that you wouldn't steal a handbag, you wouldn't steal yeah. a mobile phone. Do, but or do, do that for a while, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a big cultural change, so you'd have to do it for 20 years, unfortunately. But you've got to start something somewhere. So what, what else do you want to see? More standardized e-bikes. Motors and batteries and everything keeps changing every year. It's like mobile phones at the moment. The technology is moving forward, which is good, but 
just try and make it move forward and still make so the old ones still work um, and are more compatible with each other. So batteries can work on several different motors, several different bikes, not a thing of, yeah. I've got one more I want to add. Uh, I would like to see more non-traditional cycling brands that preferably have lots of money getting into the cycling space. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I want more competition and I want competition from outside of cycling so that it forces the traditional brands that do stuff in the ways that they're doing it to have to rethink to be competitive. A great example of that is the Cathlon. I am super excited to see where they go over the next 12 months because I think they're going to disrupt so hard and I'm very excited for it. But I want more. I don't just want Decathlon to come in and take over and be like, we're now the thing. I want more, I want more and more and more. I want more competition. But and I and I think what that will force is better value at the lower end, which is something I'm massively, massively passionate about. Okay. Time for another round of overrated or underrated. I'm gonna read out a list of things and you're gonna tell me if they're overrated or underrated. So the first one is average speed. So this is suggested by Aaron in Nashville, who said, when I first started riding, I was using my average speed on a ride as my biggest metric for performance. It's something I know a lot of people do, and it makes me very upset. Anyway, the more I've ridden since then, the less I care about how fast I am going. I would love to hear Yarl's thoughts. Can I say Yarl? Well, he has he really, said it's literally Yarl's thoughts. thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I have historically done it. I know a lot of people that do do it. And I, I tell you what, the, the place where I most significantly noticed that the, it is such a bad metric was moving to the north. Yeah. In London, you can kind of get away with it because it's so flat. It like you can you can you can ride huge distances in London and practically hit no hills at all. So it's a lot easier to manage an average speed. The second you start riding up here, it is so hilly and so varied, and it it's just so different that you can't use speed as an appropriate metric. You could if you were if if you were saying, okay, my average speed on this climb or my average speed on a climb of this sort of steepness should be around X. But you can't use it at an entire ride. No. Well, you, you can, but you can't. You can get in and out of it as well. Is your Garmin set to auto pause at four kilometers an hour or at zero kilometers an hour? <laughs> I mean, traffic lights you stop at. When you accelerate forward, that's all going to affect your average speed. You, you can con your average speed to look much better than what it actually is. But also, and then, are you enjoying the ride? That's what's important. Like Ultimately, what I think we're all getting at here is average speed is not a performance metric. It's no. definitely overrated. It is definitely overrated, yeah. I've even, I actually forgot we were even doing overrated yeah. or underrated then. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, I've done 16 kilometers an hour average gravel rides that is 20 times harder than 30 kilometers an hour road rides. It's... P yeah, performance metrics right, yeah. are, well, things that you can use to monitor your performance and fitness are uh, power meters, heart rate monitors, doing certain tests, riding certain courses in certain ways and repeating them, yeah. uh, ultimately testing and looking at benchmarks on that. But just uh, just generalizing an average speed on all or frequent or many rides that you do, it's overrated. It is, it's a rubbish metric. Yeah, it doesn't even, obviously it doesn't take into account varying terrains, but it also doesn't take into account varying, like how tired you are, for example. Like, you know, you might just do a ride and you're not able to put out the same watts you were last week. Because or, you, or you've you not eaten enough food. Not in, yeah, there's loads of not things. Not drunk enough it? water. The other thing that I don't like about it is it encourages you to ride hard from the start and all the way to the end because you're focused on trying to maintain that average rather than giving yeah. your body a chance to warm up and cool down. 
next is 650B wheels. Most underrated thing ever. I'm not having anything else. <laughs> That's just a fact. So I, I think there's two ways to look at this. Um, uh, to most people, most people that ride bikes won't even care or know what 650B wheels are. And to them, they are arguably underrated. To people in the gravel world like Nick, that in my opinion, they are massively overrated. They're not. They're underrated. <laughs> because I've ridden both. I have both. Uh, I arguably don't even notice a difference. However, what a 650B does allow me to do, especially on a really small frame, is put massive, massive tires on it. So I've got 2.1 mountain bike tires on my steel custom Howler gravel bike, which I absolutely love. If I had seven if I had 700 wheels, I just wouldn't be able to fit that kind of size tire in it, which is appropriate for that bike. Yeah, it's much better for smaller bikes. Are you talking specifically gravel or road here? Can you specify? Gravel. Um, road. Well, I, I, I think it should be a thing on road as well for really small bikes. And that's the only place I would have that. But for gravel, it's, it's bigger tires. It's more comfortable. It'll If you run tubeless, you'll seal more punctures. You'll have more grip. Um your acceleration slightly better. You don't ride gravel at such massively high speed that you need that roll over. You, you need to, if you're riding up something technical, it's just easier. Getting through tighter corners is easier. It's I have, to, I've, I have to say, I've never, I haven't noticed any difference in like rolling resistance or I don't find my 650B bike to be like slower than a seven, like a, so, so my gravel bike with 650B is like a proper gravel bike. You know, it's massive tires, it's heavy, it's bulky, and it's not particularly slower than a really fast carbon gravel bike yeah. with 700s and 38 mil tires on it. Um, they both ride incredibly well and are fast bikes. So like, I don't think there's a difference in that. In that, the, the idea that 650B is slower, I think is overrated because they're not. But again... We're talking averages versus non-average. You are way below average in weight. So somebody that weighs 80, 90 <laughs> kilos and above, a bigger tire is going to make the bike more durable. You're going to have more grip. You're going to have more leeway to do things. When we had yeah, Milky sure. riding with us at 120 kilos in weight, plus his bike's weight, 130 kilograms. If he was to run 700 Cs, where at that point, tires limited to a 40 mil tire on most gravel bikes, he'd have to run out of 50 PSI to not puncture or just dent his rims which will have no grip, mega uncomfortable. Where with 650Bs, bigger tires could go up to 2.1 inch and he's running it at 25 PSI. It's more enjoyable. So it's just not utilized enough. I'm not saying that it's going to kill 700. I think 700 has got, definitely got a place, especially now with 700 by 50 mil for gravel. Um, but it's just, once again, it's, yeah, it's, it'll take a bit of time. And you would always advocate for tubeless on gravel bikes wouldn't you yes. so you're not having to deal with the different um inner tubes yeah tubeless has come on massively over the last three years um but obviously bigger tires brings it closer to mountain biking where they've done it for years and years and years um the mistake people make is thinking tubeless is gonna stop all punctures but if it stops one puncture yeah um from my own experience i usually get about eight or nine punctures for every one where i have to plug it um that's being Saved by the tubeless, put a little bit of air in, off you go. Um, yeah, for me, tubeless is, it's just not. What, what are you saying, Emily? Overrated or underrated? 
Mm, I, I, honestly, I've never ridden a pair. I don't know. Maybe ignorance is. For your size bike, six foot few. Yeah, we talked yeah. about this in a previous podcast. So I, I actually bought a, a larger bike than is comfortable for me because I didn't want to deal with six fifty B wheels on a road bike because I didn't want to have to deal with buying different inner tubes to what Jimmy has because we keep them all because we both ride. We keep them all in a big bag and it's just like pull it out. Whereas I would have to manage my own stock <laughs> of small and I just didn't want to have to deal uh, with uh, that. on a road bike. I can see problems. Yeah. So I understand Although that. I had a dream the other oh. night where, you know how we were talking about I'm going to get a new bike. I had a dream that I bought a new bike. What was it? It was a Liv. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I don't, Why? That's so weird. I don't know. It must have just got in my head somehow because they, I guess they have, some, I what, don't know. What did it look like? It was small and it was purple sparkly. And I don't think I would ever buy a purple I don't know sparkly why. bike. I, I, I visualized when you said Liv, a purple sparkly bike. Someone's been subliminal messaging me and Jimmy, clearly. That's so weird. Yeah. That's not, I'm, I don't think I will do that. But anyway. Muck off. No comment. No, you, you, you have to comment. That's the whole point of this part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, overrated. <laughs> I, uh. I, I think uh, they have fantastic marketing and branding. Their products, in my opinion, are hugely overrated, as are most cycling-specific cleaning products. They're everywhere, aren't they? They're in Aldi. I saw them in the middle aisle of yeah, in the middle aisle of Aldi. I was chatting to when we were at the Garmin dinner. The guy that now works for Garmin used to work for Muckoff, yeah. and he was saying that Muckoff are sold in something like seventy countries. They are absolutely massive. I hadn't realised how humongous Muckoff are, and I guess it's because it's such a uh, retail sellable product, so they can just sell to like supermarkets and shops and loads of stuff that's like outside of just you know, cycling retailers. So therefore, they're probably humongous. I just think there's a lot better products out there. Tell us some. Cause I don't know. I, I've used uh, Muckoff I've personally, before. I've always liked Fenix. Um, we've been using for a few months now Juice Lubes. Um, and they just make really good lubes um, and cleaners. And it just works really well. It actually smells well. Uh, they do like a GT85 equivalent without PTFE in it. Um, Are they comparable in price? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, Muckoff being so big in some places... Uh, shops will be clearing it out, yeah. but it's not expensive products. I mean, I think Fenix for a bottle of lube is about seven pounds. Um, and I think juice lubes comes just below 10 quid. So it's not silly money. But the, um, the problem I have even with that is there's products available that are as good as those products that cost two pounds, one yeah. pounds, like maybe what? even less. Well, you can just, you can like, for example, uh, you used to be able to get a motorbike cleaning product in like, it must be like 10 liter urn thingy, absolutely mahusive. And it costs about 60, 70 quid, which is obviously a lot of money. We bought one about three years ago and we've used about a third of it. Like it lasts for eternity. Francis has got one as well. It's pink, which is one of the brands that we are talking about. He is color. So is it the same product? Who knows? No. Uh, Speculation. But, uh, we, we, <laughs> we, we use uh, motocross products in the bike shop for well yeah that, that, that's it that's that's um, what I've got. and it was excellent it worked really well you, you want a few companies that specialize in a few products and just do it well fenix is a good example of that they they're not trying to make everything in terms of sealants and things like that where silka focuses on sealant i know they've started getting into the cleaning business but it's not thousands of products or hundreds of products yeah frame bags live without mine anymore I, I, if you asked me five years ago it says most overrated product ever it looks terrible but it's like a handbag on your bike um <laughs> i have snacks in there i've got money in there i've got tools i've got jackets i've got um when i ride a road bike now i feel like i've 
forgotten something at home. I agree. I'm a prepper. I like to have everything. And also when I commuted, I never wanted to commute with the bag, but I don't like bags at all. I've got wonky shoulders and it hurts me to carry bags. So I would always have some sort of frame bag that had for commuting as well. I think luggage in general is still underrated. Yeah. It's just, it's just useful. I, I don't like having a backpack, even for like commuting and stuff, like yeah. you said. So yeah, underrated. Um, suspension on gravel bikes. I'm going to go in first with underrated. And I'm going to caveat that with when I think of suspension, I'm not just thinking about a mountain bike suspension fork. There is lots of different types of suspension. Redshift is a great example of that. I think it's underrated because the the tests that I've done and the bikes that I've ridden, there's a bike on the wall over there, which is caked in Redshift. It's incredibly comfortable. Uh I'm going to go both underrated for the performance benefits, the comfort benefits and how well it's going to ride massively overrated and how much it's going to cost you to maintain your bike with the suspension fork on it. Well, a suspension, a traditional suspension fork. Sure. Yeah. But there's, there's other options. Oh uh, yes. Like the rate of statement obviously needs no servicing. I, I could never ride my bike without it again. You can. No, I can't. <laughs> like I love it so much. I, I turned down, um, I was looking at getting a bike, but it would only take an integrated handlebar like your Scott, and I won't ride it because I can't put my rate shift on it. Um, it's just so comfy. It actually saved me from a crash the other day. So, yeah, no, it's... Title of this podcast, Redshift Saved My Life. Yeah, <laughs> Keep sending your suggestions to wildonespodcast.cavemedia.co.uk and we might read yours out in the next show. So next up, we have Fluff Up of the Week. We have two fluff ups of the week. We have also been talking for a very long time today, so we are going to rattle through them as quick as possible. Um, we, Emily and myself, are currently decorating our house over like a 10-year plan. And for some reason, even though there is not a rush on anything that we're doing, I decided to empty our bedroom on Christmas Eve because I thought a quick lick of paint and it would be done. And then it ended up taking about a week and a half. So we spent the whole of the Christmas period in our spare bedroom in a really small, uncomfortable bed. Well, it's not uncomfortable, but it's not as nice as our lovely big bedroom bed. My main issue is that you always start DIY projects at like 3 p.m. on either a Sunday or a bank holiday. And therefore, like shops are closed. So inevitably, you, you find halfway through the project that you need another piece of equipment and you're not able to go out and get it. Like you started draining our radiator to change the radiator at 3 p.m. on a Sunday and to turn the, he had to turn the heating off and then he didn't have the tool, which meant that we were going to have no heat. And thankfully my dad lives 10 minutes away and had the tool, but still mm -hmm. pick times you, better. You've got, Jimmy. To, you've, you've got to do what you got to do. Um, we actually have another fluff up of the week, which is one of Nick's ones. Um, I, I don't even know if, if he's <laughs> willing to talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> so as some of you will probably guess, or just know Nick is South African and currently his entire family are in South Africa and he is in the Northeast on his own, i.e. why he spent New Year's Eve with us in our house rather than being lonely on his own. Um, it's he, like a real life Home Alone story. Yeah, they went home <laughs> to see my family but forgot to take me with them. <laughs> no, what actually happened, Nick? Well, my passport expired and hasn't come back yet from being renewed. I think I think secretly you intentionally delayed renewing it because you thought actually I'm going to have two weeks in the two new year freedom. to ride bikes and not have to look after a baby. <laughs> 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 so let's finish up with listeners takeover. Carl asks, "What's the deal with dry versus wet lube? Is it for specific climate conditions, or is one type of lube fine?" 
all conditions lube. Uh, dry lube works well in the dry, wet lube. If you some dry loops you put on a bike and you ride in really wet conditions when it's raining, you'll realize halfway through your ride that you just don't have a lube. Your chain's making a horrible noise. Um, but some wet lubes turn into a glue. So I've been testing it for quite a few months now in the Northeast, which is really wet and horrible weather. Uh, all conditions. Find a brand that do an all conditions lube. It's very watery, but it just seems lube's gone on. It works better. So yeah. Fenix do one, Juicy Lubes do one. Either one of those, I've tried both. I've also used Wolf Tooth's Lube. Um, it's a bit more expensive, but all three of those work really well. Yeah, that was that was always the problem. Is I used to hate using wet lubes because they just get filthy, yeah. but they stay on the chain for ages. So I would use dry lubes, which are essentially good weather lubes, like you're saying, but then they last one. Well, you wash your bike at the end of a ride and then you've got to, well, it again I, every I time. like that. I want to be able to wash my bike and wash it off, but I don't want it to be washed off by just riding it. Yeah. Keep sending us your questions, stories, and fun stuff to wildonespodcast at cavemedia.co.uk. Before we go, we want to ask you a favor. If you liked the episode, please take a moment to leave a five-star review or leave a like and comment if you're watching this on YouTube. It doesn't take long, but by doing this, you help us boost the profile of this podcast and that can, allows us to continue putting it out for free. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Emily. Thanks. See you on the next one. All right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.